1 Peter chapter 1. I'll be reading verses 6 through 9. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. This is God's holy and inerrant word written for you and for me this evening. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you give us insight into your word, that you would show us more of your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray this evening. Amen. Please be seated. The Apostle Paul tells us several places in the New Testament. For example, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul calls the believer to rejoice. Tells us to rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Earlier in his ministry, in the book of 1 Thessalonians, one of his earliest books that he wrote, he tells us very simply in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, to rejoice Always. The calling is clear for the believer. The calling is clear, dear Christian, for you and for me, that we are to rejoice always. And that is the theme that we're going to consider this evening from these few verses, from this glorious letter, uh, Peter's first epistle to these scattered uh, believers, to these elect exiles, as he calls them, undergoing persecution. We're going to be considering this great theme of joy, of Christian joy. But one question to consider before we dive into our passage is this. How do we do that? How do we rejoice always? Don't miss that little adverb. How do we rejoice always? Because the truth is, I'm sure you would all agree with me this evening, life is hard. Life is challenging. Life is difficult. Life is filled with tribulations. Life is filled with unexpected hardships. No doubt, all of you have experienced various hardships and trials in your life. Perhaps some of you even this very moment are going through some various trials, various tribulations, various valleys in your own life. Perhaps it's marriage issues, issues with children, or health issues, or we could go on and on and on. This past week, my wife and I went back to Kentucky to visit uh, her family, and I sat down with her aunt, who's a wonderful Christian lady who's been through quite a, uh, a, a series of trials in her own life, and she asked me, why? I don't understand why all these things happen. And, of course, I gave her the great theologian's answer, neither do I. <laughs> But the reality is, life is difficult. Life is challenging. Job, 
Job understood this well. Job chapter 14, verse 1. Job says, man who is born of woman is few of days and full of trouble. Pretty accurate description. Few of days and full of trouble. But the calling remains. The calling from the Apostle Paul, the calling from the Apostle Peter doesn't change. It's still true. It's still as true today as it was 2,000 years ago when they wrote, Rejoice, and I say again, rejoice. And Peter will talk about this inexpressible joy, and we'll get there in just a few moments. So the question to consider is, how? How are we to rejoice in in the midst of a world that is groaning under the curse, in the midst of a fallen and broken and sin-sick world. And so as we turn our attention to our scripture tonight, the Apostle Peter, I would suggest, gives us three reasons or three causes for joy for the Christian. And we'll unpack these three as we go through. And these three are very simple. Our future hope, our present trials, and our sufficient Savior. We'll talk about these in a moment. Our future hope, our present trials, and our sufficient Savior. But before we get to those, keep in mind that the Apostle Peter was not writing from an ivory tower. It's not as if Peter did not understand the trials of life. We don't have time to to review Peter's life, but Peter's life was a series of this. Here's Peter. He's up and he's down. He's up and he's down. He he denies his Lord. He's rebuked by his Savior. He's rebuked by, even after Pentecost, he's rebuked by the Apostle Paul. Galatians chapter 2 records that incident. But he, is, he gives us these wonderful inspired letters. He is undoubtedly a leader in the early church. The first half of the book of Acts is all about the great uh, ministry of the Apostle Peter, a man who suffered for his convictions. Acts chapters 4 and 5. Peter preaches the gospel boldly, faithfully, courageously, and he suffers mightily, physically, persecution for his faith. And so Peter, as he writes these words to us, is not writing as a detached observer. But he's writing as someone who has been in the midst of the crucible. He doesn't write from an ivory tower. He writes from the here and now, from the muddy details of life. So keep that in the back of your mind, that we are hearing the inspired words of someone who, who's been there, we might say. And let's dive in. Three things Peter tells us. Three causes for Christian joy. And the first is our future hope. Our future hope. Look at the very first phrase of verse 6. In this you rejoice. Now stop there. In this you rejoice. And there's a little bit of a debate as to what this is. What exactly is Peter talking about? Now I would suggest that Peter is talking about what he has just actually said prior in fact, I would take this first phrase in verse 6 as something of a, of a summary of verses 3 through 5. So as a good preacher, I get to preach two sermons. I snuck this one in because now we get to go back and look at verses 3 through 5. So let's go back to verse 3 and actually see what this is. Remember what Peter says, in this you rejoice. Well, what, what is this that we rejoice in? Well, go back to verse 3 and let's just walk through these verses briefly as we think about our future hope. Peter begins in verse 3 with this great benediction, this this praise to the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why is he to be blessed? Why is he to be praised? According to his great mercy, what has he done? 
He has caused us to be born again, to be regenerated, to be sovereignly regenerated, to be given new hearts, that our hearts of stone have been taken out, and we've been given by the grace of God soft, responsive hearts of flesh. We've been, he's caused us to be born again, and note this next phrase, and here's the key phrase. We've been born again to a living hope. That's what we have. We've been born again to a living hope. Brother and sister, you have a living hope this evening through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Well, what is that living hope? Well, look at verse 4, and I want you to note how verses 3 and 4 are in parallel. We've been born again to a living hope. And look at verse 4. Verse 4, Peter expands on what that living hope is. To an inheritance. So there's our hope. That inheritance. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. An inheritance imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. That inheritance that belongs to every believer is kept in heaven. It's the idea that God is God has reserved that spot for you. If you've ever been to a, a, a five-star restaurant, perhaps there may be the, the VIP tables that are marked off. You can sit wherever you want, but you can't sit at that VIP table. It's, 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 it's reserved for a special guest. Well, that inheritance is reserved for every one of God's children. It's kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded. God not only is reserving our inheritance, He's also guarding you. He's guarding you by faith. He's guarding you as you walk by faith in this world, who are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In that you are to rejoice. That's, that's the gist of what Peter's saying. And all that he has just said, and all of those glorious, objective truths that we as believers have been born again to a living hope, that living hope that is our inheritance, that is, that is reserved for us, that is reserved for every one of you as you trust in Christ, that's imperishable, undefiled, that is unfading, that is a cause, dear friends, to rejoice. In this you are to rejoice, Peter says. We can rejoice because we have an unwavering future hope. And in fact, it's actually a, a, a continual idea. You could also translate it this way. You are to continually be rejoicing. And you note that this cause for joy is independent of our present circumstances. So no matter wherever you are this evening, whether you're up here or whether you're down here, that does not affect the glorious truth that your inheritance is reserved by the very power of God. You could even be way down here. But still, that inheritance is reserved by the very power of God. And that is an inheritance that is undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. That inheritance is nothing less than the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. Again, as I mentioned uh, this past week, we were in Louisville. In the last day, uh, we went to visit uh, Christie's dad's um, graveside, gravestone, uh, for a few moments. And if you've ever walked through a cemetery, as I'm sure all of you have, it's quite sobering. 
You know, it, 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 it's, it's, quite a, it's quite a unique experience. As I was walking through that cemetery, I thought, you know, no doubt there are many believers who are, who are buried here. It's a rather large cemetery. Muhammad Ali is buried there, interestingly. But no doubt there are many believers who are buried in that beautiful cemetery. And regardless of the, 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 the trials that those believers face, regardless of the pain that, that perhaps marked their final years and months and weeks before they were laid into the grave, one thing remained the same. Their inheritance was guarded. Their inheritance was waiting for them. And that was a cause for great joy. A cause for great joy. So the first cause that Peter gives us, this little phrase, in this you rejoice, points us backwards in the text. The points us actually forward uh, for our hope. So we rejoice because of our future hope. Secondly, we rejoice because of our present trials. Maybe saying, Aaron Nell, that's that's great. We have this future hope. What about the day-to-day? What about where I am today? Let's talk about the trials and the tribulations and the hardships and the unexpected difficulties that I'm facing today. And Peter is aware of that, and so the next several verses talk about our present trials. How do we rejoice in the midst of our trials? Well, look at the next, look at the next verse. Peter says this, In this you rejoice, and then I would prefer a period being there, but there's a comma, and then we go on. Next point. Though now for a little while... If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Let me reread that. It's a key verse. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. And there's four things that I want to, to, to bring to light in that short verse. And the first is the scope of the trials being described. The scope of of the trials. Peter uses a very uh, an intentionally broad word, various trials. And when you read through the New Testament and it talks about suffering and hardship, often we have to distinguish whether that suffering is is specifically related to persecution because of, of one's commitment to Christ. As other places in Peter it talks about that, or whether it's just the general trials of life. In this particular phrase talks about that second category, the general trials of life. You've been grieved by various trials, the full spectrum of life. Peter is wonderfully, intentionally broad. So he is not specific, such that the trials that Peter's readers might be facing, it might be different than the trials that you are facing, might be different than the, the issues that uh, that I am facing, that my family's facing. But they're all under the broad category of these various trials. It's like what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. When Paul talks about the sufferings of this present age, or the sufferings of this present time. In that verse, Paul's not talking about specific suffering because of persecution because of your faith. In that verse, Romans 8, 18, just as Peter's talking about here, it is the general sufferings of life in a fallen world. The sufferings of this present time, Paul talks about in that verse. In Romans, all of the various manifestations 
and symptoms of life in a world that is not as it was originally designed to be. From the small and mundane to the great and mighty. All of that is, is included under Peter's phrase, various trials. So wherever you are, Peter's talking to you this evening. So first, the scope. The second point about this verse is the duration. Look back to what Peter says. The duration. He says, though, rather verse, verse uh, 6, though now for a little while. For a little while. Now, was Peter specifically talking about how many minutes his readers were undergoing trials and tribulations? Was he talking about, you know, maybe you've, I don't know, you ran out of gas and you're on the side of the road for a few hours, uh, a few hours of, of irritation? Was he talking about maybe a few hours when, when our children were, were disobeying us or a few minutes when, when husband and wife are, are arguing or whatever it might be? I would suggest he's not. I would suggest he's talking about the, the little while of our life in this world. The little while of our life in this world. So you may have a Johnny Erickson Tata. Many of you may be aware of Johnny and her ministry and her books. As a teenager, dove off and, and, and dove into a shallow pool and, and was, was paralyzed from the neck down. Ever since those teenage years, she's been a quadriplegic. Many many, many years, a long time from an earthly point of view. But from a biblical point of view, from a divine point of view, from a heavenly point of view, from a Peter-like point of view, it is but for a little while. It is but for a little while. So again, whatever issue you're facing this evening, whatever trial and tribulation, whatever struggle you might be going through, it is but for a little while when we compare with the eternal glory that awaits us, when we compare with the eternity that we will have to enjoy that inheritance that is kept in heaven for us. Let me read the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 4. This is almost like a commentary on, on the verse that we're reading. It's a verse that many of you know well. well let me read it for 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17. Listen to what... Paul says, Paul says this, verse 16, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day, for this light momentary affliction. And again, Paul's not talking about 30 minutes of an affliction. He's not talking about 30 years of an affliction. He's talking about this light momentary affliction, as long as it is in this present world. It is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. An eternal weight of glory. So as we think about rejoicing in the midst of our present trials, first we've considered the scope and Peter's being intentionally broad to cover the full spectrum of life in this fallen world. Secondly, the duration. That whatever it is, from eternity's perspective, it is but for a short time. Then thirdly, the necessity. The necessity of our present trials. Did you notice that little short phrase? If necessary. If necessary. Look back at verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if 
necessary. You have been grieved by various trials. It literally reads, if it is necessary. So Peter is saying, if it is necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. And the idea here, the idea that Peter is trying to bring out is this, that there is a sense of divine guidance in appointment to every, each and every trial and hardship and tribulation that we face. So the trials we face in this life are not without purpose. They don't come to us by chance. They don't come to us by, by happenstance, but rather they are ordered by our Heavenly Father. There is a, a divine purpose in everything that our Heavenly Father brings our way. In this morning's sermon, uh, Pastor Todd Bordeaux uh, preached from uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, that great, uh, that great poem that was taken over by, as he said, the birds in the 60s to everything. There is a season. There is a season for this. There is a season for that. It is a great passage exalting in the sovereignty of God. That He is sovereign over our day of birth. He is sovereign over our day of death. He is sovereign over everything that comes our way. There is a divine purpose in everything that our good and gracious Heavenly Father sends our way. Calvin puts it this way. Listen to what Calvin says in his commentary on this verse. He says, Peter is showing that God does not try His people without reason. For if God afflicted us without a cause, it would be grievous to bear. Hence, Peter has taken an argument for consolation, an argument for comfort from the purpose of God. Not because the purpose always appears to us, but because we ought to be fully persuaded that it ought to be so, because it is God's will. Simply put, there is a divine design and purpose and every one of our trials, even if we don't see it. And very often, this side of glory, we will never see it. And even on that side of glory, we still might not see it. But God has a purpose in everything that He is doing in your life and in my life. Charles Spurgeon, in a wonderful Spurgeon-like way, said this, When we can't trace our Father's hand, we can trust His heart. That's one to write down. When you can't trace his hand, you can trust his heart. So first, when we think about rejoicing in our present trials, we've considered the scope, the breadth of trials, the full breadth. We've considered, secondly, the duration for a little while. Thirdly, the divine necessity. There is a divine sense of purpose. And then fourthly, in verse 7, Peter elaborates, and he gives us what that purpose is. He gives us what that effect is, what that goal is. And that goal is simply this, to make us more like Jesus. To make us more like Jesus. To shape us, to refine us, to, to mold us. Because that's, that's, what, that's what the Lord is doing. When you come to Christ by faith, when you are converted, that's not the, that's not the, the end that's the beginning of what God is going to do in your life. And that great purpose is to conform us more into the image of Christ. Romans 8.29, your election, your predestination, all of that great golden chain is to the end that we might be more and more conformed to the image of Christ. 
Again, the Bible has much to say about this. Listen just, again, a few verses from the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 5. Listen to what Paul says. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. So how do we do that, Paul? Because we know that our suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. But look at how Peter puts it. Look back to your text in verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Again, to put it simply, the trials that we face are divine chisels in which our Heavenly Father is slicing away anything that does not resemble His Son. Or to use the metaphor that Peter's using, you probably picked up, Peter's using this this kind of a, this metaphor where gold would be placed in the fire and all that was not pure would be, would be burned off. The trials that we face is our gracious Heavenly Father's way of burning away anything that does not resemble His Son. The Lord Jesus Christ. God is working in us through the trials He puts about us. Think of Jacob, for example. As many places we could go in Scripture. Think of Jacob and how the Lord worked in Jacob's life. Jacob loved Rachel. He longed to have Rachel as his wife. Jacob was a swindler. He was a cheat. The Lord needed to do a little bit of refining in his servant Jacob. And so he was... The swindler was indeed tricked by his uncle Laban. So Jacob spent 14 years laboring under Laban. And then he would go on and have various other trials and issues. But at the end of the day, he was, he was molded and conformed into that great patriarch whose name was changed to Israel. Jacob is one of many examples who was refined and who was, who was molded through the trials of life that he might more and more resemble God, or as we would say, this side of the cross, more and more resemble our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's remember Romans 8.18, we quoted this verse earlier, talked about the sufferings of this present time. Remember the second half of that verse. The sufferings of this present time are not worth to be compared to the glory that awaits us. That's what the Lord is doing now. He is He is bringing more of the glory out in your heart and my heart. As we, as we look at our Lord Jesus, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, as we look at our Lord Jesus, we are being refined and shaped from one degree of glory to another. So if holiness and conformity to the image of Christ is the goal, that's what, that's what God is doing in all of our lives, then trial or the chisel Again, that shave off all everything that does not resemble our Lord Jesus. Now, we need to put a little qualifier here. It's not that we rejoice in the thing itself. We don't rejoice in the cancer diagnosis. Some dear friends of ours, their three-year-old little boy, was diagnosed with a very rare kind of cancer. We went by to visit them this past week on the way to Kentucky. We don't rejoice that he is battling cancer as a three-year-old. We don't rejoice in that. We understand that's not how things are supposed to be. 
That's a result of the fall. It's a result of living in a fallen world. That we can rejoice because of what God is doing. And we know that what He is doing is good and it is right. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that we, can, we are to be sorrowful yet rejoicing. We can, we, can, we can be sorrowful at the heartache and at the difficulty, but at the same time we can rejoice because of what God is doing in and through it. George Whitfield said this, God puts burrs in our bed to keep us watchful and awake. He puts burrs in our bed to keep us watchful and awake. So first, we can rejoice because of our future hope, our living hope, our inheritance that is kept in heaven no matter where we are in our circumstances in life, that is kept in heaven for us. We can, we can rejoice secondly because of our present trials. Because we know what God is doing in the midst of them. He is refining us and He is making us more like His Son. But then thirdly and finally and ultimately, we rejoice simply because of Jesus. Because we belong to Him. Rejoice because of our sufficient Savior. Look at verses 8 and 9. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is a statement about our day-to-day life, the Christian life from one day to another. As believers, we love the Lord Jesus. We believe in Him. We rejoice in Him. We belong to Him. So let me pause and ask you this question this evening. Does that describe you? Can you say in your heart, I love Jesus Christ? I love Jesus Christ. I'm not asking you if you read your Bible. I'm not asking you if you go to church. You're all here at church in the evening, more you know, especially. I'm not asking you if you've been baptized. I'm asking you very simply, do you love your Savior? Do you delight in Him? Do you rejoice in Him? So Peter is talking about in this passage, our present communion, joy-filled communion with Christ our King. Remember that Peter's readers, they'd never seen Christ in the flesh just like us, but they loved Him, they trusted Him, they rested in Him, what Jesus said to Thomas in the upper room, blessed are those who do not see and yet believe, and thus it is this intimate daily Communion with our ascended Savior that gives us an unceasing, present joy. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. He's our trailblazer. He's the one who went before and secured our salvation. He's the one who who perfects our salvation, who will bring us home on the last day to, to receive that inheritance that is reserved for every one of us. Do you love him. And look at the kind of joy that Paul talked that Peter talks about. It is a joy that is inexpressible. Peter's it's just it's grappling for words. He can't come up with enough words to describe the joy 
that he's talking about. And our joy is inexpressible because our Savior is inexpressibly glorious. And so but, but lying beneath our future hope and rejoicing in our present trials, lying beneath of that, the foundation of all of that is simply our sufficient Savior. We have that future hope because of our sufficient Savior. We are able to rejoice in the, the, the present trials of life only because our union and communion with our sufficient Savior. And so as we close this evening, let me challenge you and encourage you. Let me challenge you to ask yourself that hard question. Do I rejoice and delight in Jesus my Lord? Do I rejoice and delight and love Jesus, my Lord. And let me encourage you that He is wonderfully glorious. That He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. That He will never leave us nor forsake us. That He tells us in John 14, If you believe in God, believe in Me. I've gone away from you to prepare a place for you. And I will bring you to Myself. So dear Christian, wherever you find yourself this evening, whether life is, is somewhat smooth or whether it's not, may we rejoice. May we rejoice ultimately because we belong to our sufficient Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God for His Word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for this wonderful passage. We thank You that You are good and that You are faithful. We thank You that You are perfect and that You are wise. And we thank You as one of our heroes in the faith, Charles Spurgeon, once said, when we cannot trace Your hand, we can trust Your heart. We thank You that we as believers have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ to an inheritance that is undefiled, unfading, imperishable, kept in heaven for us. And Father, ultimately, may you give us your spirit that we might love you more. That we might love you. That we might love our Savior more and more each day. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.